Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. In fact, this is the other thing I've done for 150 episodes, which is just nuts. And my guest for this very special show is Paul Shear, a writer, actor, producer, director, and podcast superhero who's been on just about everything worth watching in the last 10 years. From the Upright Citizens Brigade and Human Giant Sketch Shows through 30 Rock and Parks and Rec and Happy Endings and Veep, he's a stealth genius on The League and Burning Love, and if you've never seen his brilliant Adult Swim series, NTSF SDSUV, you should get on that right now. He also turns up this week in James Franco's The Disaster Artist, playing Raphael Smaja, one of Tommy Wiseau's cinematographers on The Room, which, for one of the hosts of How Did This Get Made, is just about perfect casting. Paul picked Bowfinger a 1999 comedy directed by Frank Oz and written by and starring Steve Martin. He plays a desperate would-be filmmaker going to increasingly insane lengths to shoot a half-baked alien invasion thriller, Chubby Rain. He cuts corners on locations and effects, he risks the wrath of a Hollywood cult leader, and he ultimately hangs his entire movie on footage of a star who hasn't actually agreed to be in it. Eddie Murphy plays both the A-lister Kit Ramsey and his lookalike brother Jif, and the cast is packed with ringers doing pitch-perfect work in key supporting roles. Robert Downey Jr.'s in there, and Terrence Stamp, and Christine Baranski, and Heather Graham. It's, it's solid. It's actually aged really well, all things considered. I should also apologize. This is the shortest episode I've ever released. Paul was only available for a tiny window in the middle of the Disaster Artist press day at TIFF. We knew we didn't have a lot of time, so we hid out in a tiny room and talked really quickly. I think you'll get your money's worth, and I had a ball. This is someone else's movie. You know... Bowfinger to me is one of my favorite comedies. Um, similarly to the Disaster Artist, yeah, which no we're kidding. here, it's like um, it's about people trying to make a good movie and 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 not making one. But for me, uh, I love Eddie Murphy and I love Steve Martin. Having them together, it, it just the movie really pops, and it's a movie that I don't think many people know about. Yeah, it went right under the radar at the time. I mean, yeah. I remember, I think it opened in August or something. It was a really weird window. And, uh, and the poster's pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But it's one of those movies that I'm always trying to show people because I think there's a, a group of people who view Eddie Murphy as, like, the daddy daycare kind of person. I grew up with Eddie Murphy as the 48 Hours, Beverly Hills Cop, like, you know, one of the funniest people out there, and I love Steve Martin, too. And I think this movie kind of showcases both of them at what they do best. And it's so odd that it, it didn't get any traction. These are huge movie stars. And it's like, and, and Heather Graham is fantastic in it, and uh, Jamie Kennedy. It's a great, like, it's a great cast and a hilarious premise. Uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy's character is, like, in this Scientology kind of organization mind head that like Terrence Stamp is the like running which I you know so it's like taking down Scientology like way early on and Steve Martin's like this kind of failed like dinner theater actor who you know reads this script called Chubby Rain which you know he's uh, fully believing in and it's and it's about making a movie. I, I, it's so funny that as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, the similarities to Disaster oh, Artist totally, yeah. are gigantic. I mean, the big caveat here is that they can't get Eddie Murphy to be in their movie, so they get Eddie, uh, the guy who looks just like Eddie Murphy, played by Eddie Murphy, to be in the movie. Uh, yeah. And uh, the other parallel that struck me is that you have 
someone who I think could best be described as a, a completely untrained actor becoming the star of a film. Yeah, exactly, and, yeah. And, except unwittingly. Right, And, and exactly. that adds another level of, I mean, almost prop comedy where Eddie Murphy is the prop and they're just working around and they're shooting clandestinely. They have yeah. to replace him with and, his twin. And, and, and you know, like, like I feel like, you know, again, Eddie Murphy, if you're, there are people out there, not me, that will slight him for being, oh, he does all these da-da-da-da-da. But it's like, his character work is amazing. When you yeah. watch that dinner table scene from Nutty Professor, you're blown away by it. And I think in a, in a weird way that this character is so subtle and great. Like, he plays two very, he plays, like, I think the 80s version of Eddie Murphy, like, that kind of crazy guy, like, who may or may not have had a gun. I mean, this character in this movie has a gun and is, like, firing it off a, like, uh, drum kit. And then, you know, and then you have the, the simple version. And, like, I don't, I'm constantly, uh, yeah, just, I'm blown away by the, the fact that no one has seen it. Yeah, I, I was trying to explain it to people, and they thought I'd made it up. I, yeah. was, it was actually what that isn't even a title. I know. Bowfinger is a back. weird t- and it's again, it's like, you know, so much goes into a movie, right? And it's sort of that is a good movie with a good script with great actors, directed by Frank Oz, yeah. you know? And then it's like a bad title, crappy poster, and it's forgotten about. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's the you know, but it's great to be able to talk about these things because uh you know, we all have those movies that we want to show everybody. And, you know, and I feel like when you do stumble upon something so good, uh, it's, like a, it's like a little secret. It's like you bust it out of your, you know, your cabinet of your DVDs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, the, it's like a talisman. Right? Yes. Like you end up saying, you, you, I can't respect you if you haven't seen. So yeah. what was your first experience? Did you see it theatrically? I saw it in the theater. I mean, as a fan of those guys, yeah. I was into seeing it. Um, How yeah. did you play for everybody? Great. I mean, it's a, it's you know, it's a good movie. So it's it, it's it it just you know wasn't kind of uh, marketed the best way. But it's one of those movies that I quote all the time, and I use as like a litmus test for like when you're dating someone. Like that's you know, it's like, do you like this? Like check this out, or did you know about this? And then when you, and it's a small club of people who don't know about it. You know, people who know about it, it's it's really great. And I love as I've kind of, you know, Googled around and found stuff, it has a great backstory because Steve Martin wrote this. Yeah. And Heather Graham is playing essentially, um, oh, I'm forgetting her name. Who oh, dated, version of uh, Anne Heche. Anne Heche, right. Yeah. And so that's kind of fun. And Steve Martin, it's just like Steve Martin's, like, sense of humor throughout. Like, again, taking down Scientology, taking down Anne Heche, taking down, like, this idea of Hollywood celebrity. It... it it's one of the. It's a biting kind of satire, you know. And I think, and I think Steve Martin uh, obviously is an amazing writer, and I think he's done more serious stuff recently. Yeah, he's you sort know? of shifted as a writer. It's it's been interesting to watch the transition because the stuff that he seems to be most personally invested in, uh, like this or or L.A. Story, yeah, or, or Roxanne, yeah, is still like one of the great comedy scripts. Oh, so great, ever yeah. And because it's based on Cyrano, but all, the, but yeah, his update is just flawless. To to watch him as a writer. Then seed the best lines, the best jokes to Murphy. I mean, yeah. I still, like, the Heavenly God sequence is still just running across the freeway. Yes, they yeah. added the cars digitally, but it doesn't matter. You're so into that by that point. And Martin isn't even playing to it. He's just, he's a spectator. Well, you know, I think Steve Martin has, like, a couple different modes, right? Like, where it's like, um, you know, there's serious Steve Martin, then there's, like, uh, the dad Steve Martin, sure. the father yeah. of the bride, yeah. which is great. And I like all these Steve Martins. And this movie, he plays, he airs on that side of that goofier Steve Martin a little bit, which I really love. Like, he has, like, the uh, ponytail that's Velcroed on his head, and, you know, and he, and, and he is doing some more physical stuff. And I think, 
I like seeing that Steve Martin that's like fully in his body, like you know where he's like yeah. kind of just like oh you know and like and and I do think you're right, like he he gives Eddie Murphy a lot and he plays straight man to Eddie Murphy, but I also think he plays really kind of goofy and big. I mean the big, you know the the thing about this movie and I, I love it in the sense that the beginning of the movie starts out his goal is one day the UPS truck yes. or or the FedEx truck is going to come to my house with an important package like that to him is success. Yeah. And, you know, he gets it at the end, but that's, you know, it's like, so he is playing this, like, dreamer, you know, maybe a slightly smarter version of Navin Johnson from, like, <laughs> The Jerk, you know, but I, I, like, it's a rare even version of Steve Martin where he is, you know, just really loose. But you're right, and Eddie Murphy is in this thing where, you know, just again, we're showing his versatility. I feel like everyone gets to, do, like, everyone's playing to their full strength at their, Height of their power in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I never hear people talk about it either. Yeah. Like even Eddie Murphy or Steve Martin talk yeah. about well, it. Yeah, well, Martin's just sort of seeded the ground completely to theater these days. He's yeah, not making movies anymore. Or not as well, much he performs anyway. now with Martin Short a lot. Like they do oh, like these right. like two man shows, which are supposedly fantastic, you know, silly and goofy. But but um, I was listening to someone talk and said like you know, Steve Martin needs someone like Martin Short in his life because. He takes the piss out of Steve, and I think when he takes the piss out of Steve, Steve becomes the Steve the Martin that we know and love. Right, you know, yeah. because I always think that that version of Steve Martin is there. I I grew up like listening to his albums. My dad, I had Cruel Shoes. I love Cruel Shoes. Yeah. And, and you know, but even back in the day, like he released an album, and Steve it was Martin like Brothers. the yeah. Steve Martin Brothers. Like on one side was a serious banjo playing, and the other side was stand up comedy. And so he's always like I think wrestling with both of those sides, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, and you know, and I hope I'm, I'm very excited to see the show that he's doing on Broadway with Amy Schumer right now because I'm like, oh, that will be. What version of Steve will that be? Because you know, I've read Shop Girl and I've uh, and I read his book, and you know, he he is a quieter guy. He's an art collector, and he, you know, it's like it's interesting to make that kind of transition. But he's made a transition where he's still producing good work. It's just sometimes not. You want to see that old, you know, yeah, you want to yeah, see yeah. that old thing, yeah. He's doing what he wants to do, and, you know, any artist should be not 100%. only allowed but encouraged. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've met him, I interviewed him on the House Sitter Junket. Oh, yeah, in Boston, of course, yeah. Uh, which is the only time I've ever met him, and it was a really fascinating tension between me, him, and the five other people in the room who really wanted him to be on. Right. And he was talking about, like, because House Sitter is ultimately a film about stalking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was talking about how, well, you know, once you get your first letter dipped in blood, which I've received. Uh, yeah. um, and they were laughing. He's like, no, no, this this isn't a bit. Yeah. No, this really happened. And watching him be uncomfortable talking to people is something I've never forgotten because his, like, he's built like a dancer. He's like yeah. six two or six three and muscular, and he was just... He's shifting uncomfortably in an unconscious way. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen him do anything like that on screen, unconsciously, because everything he does is considered. Yeah. So, yeah, when you mention what he does in, in Bowfinger, you're absolutely right. There is a performance there. Yeah, he is, you know, he is, I mean, from his stand-up days, an incredibly physical... Yeah. Uh, kind of performer and did you ever see the special where he dances with Gregory Hines no oh it's amazing Chef Factory released a box set of his stuff that okay. Broadway, Broadway video produced yeah, yeah. back in the 70s oh I got it you know I feel like phenomenal. I may have this and I don't know how I it's in there missed. okay yeah, yeah. I, get, like, I, I have the um, Mel Brooks one and I oh I do have that Steve Martin one yes yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah wow I gotta watch that oh no it's incredible okay Just yeah the, they match each other perfectly and you know and he's pennies from heaven around the same yeah. time so he's fully trained and limber yeah I mean I, I think to me, Steve Martin feels like a guy 
who gets bored, which is yeah. a good thing to be. It's like, I don't want to do that again. Like, when he did L.A. Story, it's like, oh, you could have seen him make four Woody Allen-esque films about L.A., and they would have probably been all interesting and all, you know. And, yeah. But in a way, Bowfinger is... It's not Woody. It's not as like Woody Allen as like L.A. Story is, and, and L.A. Story was very Steve Martin too. But it's like he could have lyrical. It's more thoughtful. Yeah. yeah. No, but I was going to say, Bowfinger is a snapshot of Hollywood in nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight, when yeah. he was trying to get it made. I think because you can feel his frustration with the Minehead stuff, but the rest of the industry, like even focusing on fixating on FedEx, which you know, yeah, they're going to start emailing scripts in a week. Of course, it's but over. it's like, but it's like you know, and I think it's getting the mindset of people who we all like no matter what you're doing there's all these goals that you want and if you were to tell your goal to someone else um they're like well it's not nothing is as important as it is to you and i think like, like that fedex thing is like one of those things it's like he just wanted to feel important like and that's really you know that's what it recommend you know like what it represented like a guy who just trying to just get Success and you know, and in the end, it's pretty damn goofy. Like where, like him and this the uh, bizarro Eddie Murphy are like in this kung fu movie, and you know, which again is, but that's a kind of classic Steve Martin too. You know, the end. You know, like, but it's like that's all he wants. He like if it's the number one movie in China, he doesn't make a difference. He just wants people to acknowledge him and, and be acknowledged. And he was also, you know, Christy Bransky is amazing in that yeah, movie too. Yeah. She's like, uh, you know, just. Helping misfits kind of find their place. Yeah, there's a sweetness to it that, that in my mind, puts it to the Steve Martin canon. Yes. He's the, he's the writer who loves all his characters and wants them to succeed, even though he is deliberately stacking the odds against them oh, as yeah. the writer, right? Like yeah, he's, and he's like, and he's, and he is, you know, uh, you know, I guess, you know, it's interesting because I always think, I mean, Nick's nuts was Nora Ephron, but that has another kind of, I mean, he picks interesting movies, you know, and it's yeah. like, and yeah, you're like, there like are... The week, the, the week, the year before, he'd made The Spanish Prisoner with Mamet. Oh, right. Which nobody remembers either. Yeah, right? Right, There's this course. weird dip in the late 90s where stuff just kind of fell away because it wasn't released on DVD immediately or something. And yeah, it's, you know, it's a weird time in film because maybe that was a time where, I mean, you know, you it, like, you know, hindsight's like kind of 2020, but like, sure. where it's like you, I, I wonder, like, maybe what, The Spanish Prisoner was indie, but... Indie wasn't like it yet, you know. Yeah, it wasn't like you know. It was like I feel like Pulp Fiction really was like, or you know, like Reservoir Dogs kind of was like, oh, did you see this movie? And then Pulp Fiction kind of exploded in a big way, and that was like these are indie films, and 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 that kind of, or at least in my mind, maybe I came up younger, so like then it was like I had this explosion of you know Greg Araki and Doom Generation and these movies that you wouldn't, whoa, what is this and what is that, you know, and like and. Uh, kids and all that yeah. kind of stuff, you know, just sort of open this door to this other world. And those movies were kind of a little bit before their time in a way, but not as mainstream. Like I don't think Bowfinger is as mainstream as House Sitter, right. you know. Uh, even oh, though it's yeah, super no, funny, you know, it's like yeah, it's too weird. I mean, yeah. it really is, and and that's why it's a precious jewel now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we're about to get called for time because we're okay. in a tiny little window. But the the closer on the show is usually the same, which is is there anything from Bowfinger that you've appropriated or borrowed or stolen into your own work? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, it's an interesting. Let me just like have you, to give you. Have a, you muttered "Heavenly God, Heavenly God"? Uh, <laughs> you know, I think. Uh, I'm just trying to think of like. Uh, um, I would like to give you a good answer. Yeah, so you can cut all the stuff yeah, out. No, as I, um, 
I think the thing that I love about Bowfinger that subconsciously infects the stuff that I like to do is ensemble, like the power of ensemble. And we talked about it a little bit earlier, the idea that uh, Steve Martin's like seeding his lines to Eddie Murphy. And I think when you build a really good ensemble, it's functioning as one organism. Mm-hmm. And so in the things that I've gotten to create and be a part of, like the league was one. The league was a thing where we would pitch lines for each other, which is a very rare thing. Like, you know, where it's like, oh, this wouldn't be good for me. You say that. Or how about I say that and you say this. And when I did NTSF, just creating a cast of really diverse performers and knowing that each one of them is going to bring something great. Like we had Kate Mulgrew and Karen Gillan and Martin Starr and June Diane Raphael and, uh, you know, all these people who are individual powerhouses and if you bring them under one roof and you give them the freedom to bring their own thing to it you can get something really special out of it and something that feels unique and I think that like subconsciously that movie when you look at that cast I would argue it's the best that Jamie Kennedy is in a movie Um, I would say that it plays to Eddie Murphy's strengths and also uh, subtlety and, and in a big performance I think Steve Martin Play straight man and crazy guy. Like uh, even Robert Downey Jr. is great yeah, in that yeah, film. Yeah. You know, it's like there are some really fantastic performances, and it just really well cast. So good casting and great ensemble. I think is one thing that I think that why I looked at that movie and why it lasts and why it's fun to watch now because it's just fully greatly cast. Yeah, and it's just come out on Blu-ray. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, it's a Best Buy exclusive right now, but it's going to be released everywhere in October. That's so amazing. Okay, good. going to stop and like, buy a book? I should. Well, yeah, I should. I, you know, I, it was so rare because it, I was finally out on iTunes. Like, I couldn't oh. get it for a while. I only had a DVD of it. Um, and, uh, oh, that's great. That's on Blu-ray. Oh, good for it. Oh, timely that I picked it. Yeah, <laughs> nice choice. All right, great. My thanks to Paul Shear, who you can see in James Franco's The Disaster Artist this Friday, December 1st, in select theaters in the U.S. and Canada. It goes wider December 8th. And thanks also to Kate Parks and Brianna Hurley. They know what they did. You can find Paul on Twitter at Paul Shear, all one word, P-A-U-L-S-C-H-E-E-R. And you can find Bowfinger on Blu-ray and DVD from Universal Studios Home Entertainment for like 10 bucks. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever, that would be greatly appreciated. The other guy's still doing his dumb thing, and it would be nice to remind him that we were here first. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening.